0: Good morning, Redeemer. One more time, in case you came in a little late. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all. If you're new to us, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're making our way through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 16. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there are some black ones on the back of your pew. Uh, Feel free to turn to 977. This is the word of the Lord, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does he mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we turn our hearts to your word. We thank you for worship where we can sing of your praises, where we can give of our gifts. But we also thank you for this time in worship where you meet with us, where you speak with us. Who would imagine that through the foolishness of preaching. Through the heralding of the good news. That by this your people would be changed. Thank you for inviting us your people into your labors and thank you for the privilege to stand in the gap. And I pray that you would be pleased with your servants words. I pray for Christ's sake. Amen. When I was growing up, I went to school and there was a book fair and um, I'm guessing my parents gave me money to get a book from the book fair. And as soon as I walked in, uh, I saw this thing that I wanted and it was not a book. (laughs) And I walked out of the book fair and I did not get a book. It was a life size Michael Jordan poster. And the name and the poster, the, the, the name was it was the measure up poster. So if you go like on eBay right now, they're selling them for like five hundred dollars. But it was a Michael Jordan poster and it was life size. It was seven feet tall. And Michael Jordan had on this white Bulls jersey with his uh, red and white and black uh, Jordan fours. And he had a basketball in his hand and it went all the way up to, to seven feet. And of course, Michael Jordan was six feet six. And so right at the six feet. Six line is where his head ended and you got to know at that point in my life two things matter One was being taller than my parents who were both five eight, right? That was like a big deal Like I just wanted to be taller than my parents and the other thing was basketball I, I just I, I love basketball that my parents got me a basketball goal for Christmas one year That's the only thing I wanted and we could not have grass as long as I lived in that house. We had no grass in the front yard because everybody played basketball in my neighborhood, in my yard. So two things mattered, growing up and being like Michael Jordan. I was a kid who would wear ankle bracelets. Everywhere, I mean, the little ankle weights, I would wear the ankle weights everywhere I went. I was a kid that had the little mu- the things you do with your hands to strengthen your uh, your hand muscles. I was that kid, and I would do layups with my tongue hanging out, just like I was Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> and I stopped growing at six feet, maybe five eleven. I don't know, right? <laughs> and I didn't stay with base basketball, but there was something sweet about wanting to grow up. There was something sweeting sweet about looking at that poster and being inspired and and wanting to go out and shoot basketball and and be like Mike. Like that was a really big deal. And here's the thing, like that idea of just growing up, I wanted to grow tall, growing into becoming like him that I wonder what happens to us as adults. when we stop wanting to grow. Well, we stop dreaming. We stop thinking that I can be a better version of myself that we stop thinking that there is actually work for me to do to 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 look more like Christ. And and I think that that's what this passage is about. Last week, the, the important work that Paul commended to the church was the work at preserving unity. The important work today is the work of growing up. You see it. We'll get it to it in our passage. And it's a work. It doesn't just sort of snap your fingers and it happens. It's a work. And and we're going to talk more about it. What I want to do is to kind of help us think through the passage is is I want to look at this idea of growth and the gap. And that's the only thing you need to write if you want to take notes and help you later on if you want to study the text. But I want to look at growth and this gap. That before I move into the text, I want, I want to jog your memory back to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In Ephesians chapter two, verse five, this is, listen to what it says, that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what does this say? It says that he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. So think about that. That Paul says when grace, saving grace comes, it, it it awakens dead people. Dead people who were following the course of the world, that we're now alive, but it's not just that we're alive. Notice what Paul says, what also happens: that we were raised and seated with the Lord Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, that this idea, this image of what it means to be a believer is you have crossed from death to life, but right now you are in glory with the Lord. You're seated with him. You've been raised with him. Now, here's the thing. We live in two places, right? And that's so hard to conceive of because it's really impossible to be in two places at the same time. You can't be here and in L.A. It's not possible. But in the gospel, Paul says that's really true, that a part of you, you're raised with Christ, you're seated with Christ, you're ruling with Christ. But guess what? You still live in Jackson, Mississippi, and you still live on the earth. And so we're stuck in the middle that there is this this gap that these things are. It's the already, but the not yet. You are already these things. But right here and right now, there's a gap. Right. There's a gap in our experience that that who we will be and who we are be. When I wake up every morning, I don't feel that. Right. I don't always feel loved. I don't always feel like I'm seated with Jesus. I don't always feel like I'm strong enough to say no to to sin like I feel weak. And here's what Paul is acknowledging. Paul is acknowledging the gap, the gap between who you are right here. When you go to work Monday morning, who you are right here, when you go home this evening and who you will be in Christ, he says there's a gap right there. Now, how do we know that there is a gap? I'm glad you asked. You see it in the text. Look at verse 14. Now, you got to have Ephesians 2. you got to have that in your background when you're reading Ephesians 4. You're raised with Christ. You're seated with Christ. But look at Ephesians 4, 14, so that we may no longer be children. You see that imagery? That's a lot different than sitting on a throne with the Lord Jesus. He's he's calling them children. Now, this this isn't exclusive to, to this book. In in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I cannot address you as spiritually mature men and women, but rather I have to address you as children, children needing milk, because you're not simply you're not ready for solid food. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, he says, Solid food is for the mature, but you still need milk. In 1 Peter 2. First two, it says like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. And so here's what the apostles are doing. They're they're using these metaphors that when you are born again and become a new believer, you are not instantly a mature believer just because you're an adult. It says you're like a little child. You're childlike. You get it. And notice what he does after that. Look at verse 14 because they're children so that we may no longer be children. Then he switches the imagery from from a child to that of a a boat so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you get the image there is that they're childlike, they're immature. And because they're immature, that the winds and the waves come crashing on them and they, they can't stand. They're just kind of moving to the left and to the right. Only it's not a boat and it's the, and the wind and the waves. It, it's not real water or wind. What they are being moved by is incorrect teaching. So their child likeness, their lack of maturity, what Paul is saying, it's making them culpable to deceitful teaching. You get it? That it sounds like it's a hybrid of Christianity and something else. And because you're not rooted and grounded in the gospel and strong and firm in the faith, this thing which sounds like Christianity and it really isn't. It comes upon you and you bite it, but there's a hook in it and it harms you. That's the imagery Paul is saying is that they're childlike tossed to and fro by crafty doctrine. Now, here's the thing. Paul acknowledges that this is where they are, but notice what he also does. There's the gap. You get the gap? The gap between they're not, they're seated, but they're childlike. That's the gap. And notice what Paul says. He says, close the gap. In other words, he says, I want you to become more like you are really In Christ Jesus, I want you to change. I want you to grow up. And you see it in the text in verse 12. Look what it says in verse 12 is he speaks of the body as needing to be built up. Look at verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. That's the imagery. We're weak and we're childlike. Build us up, make us strong, close the gap. You see it in verse 13. He speaks of the body. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at that next phrase to mature manhood. You get it? Maturing. That, that, that's another thing he's saying. I want you to mature and be matured to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. You see it again in verse 13. He says that we for 14 that we may no longer be children. He, this, is, this is one part in the Bible. So, so Jesus he says, "Become like children and enter the kingdom." right? So childlike is good, but once you're a Christian, remaining childlike is not. You get the imagery? He's saying that we may no longer be childlike. He's saying, "Close the gap." You see it in 15, He outright says, "Look at it. Rather, speak, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This is a commandment to, to grow up. Look at verse 16. The body needs to grow to build itself up. So by the sheer vocabulary, here's what Paul is saying. Hey, I'm with you. I acknowledge the gap. If you're a Christian and you think deeply and rightly about yourself and where you are right now and all that you are in Christ, if you're really, really, really honest you're not there yet. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to work at closing the gap, work at growing up. So this is what it means, right? That when God saves us, he's not just giving us a get out of hell free card. You know, that we kind of pull out on judgment day that we can kind of live like we want to live right here. And then on that day, ah, I got it right. That, that's not his understanding of salvation. His understanding of salvation is that God saved us from our sins and brought us to himself. And now that we are his, he says, I want you to keep growing, grow in it, work at maturing, work at it. And here is what this fundamentally, this is what it means. It means that when God saved you, all the potential to be who he wants you to be in Christ, it's there. In seed form. When you plant a seed, it does not look like this seed is going to blossom into a mighty tree or a beautiful flower. It just does not look like it. But it is. Everything is inside of the seed to become what it was destined to be. And that's the imagery that Paul is bringing to bear upon us Christians, that everything he's going to call us to be. Later in the book, he's actually saying the spirit has given us the potential, right? Growth and the gap. And he's calling us to, to, to close the gap. He's calling us to make working at growing up a priority. The second point is, is growth and the goal, right? So if you're growth and the gap, this is growth and the goal that when we talk about growth we really have to step back and say, well, what, what's the goal? You know, there's a proverb, right? If you, you, you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time, right? The idea there is, is you have to have a target, right? When I say let's grow up, when we look at our kids and say, I want you to grow up, what are we saying? Are we saying, hey, I want you to be emotionally intelligent? Are we saying I want you to be able to function independently? Are we saying I want you to be able to hold a job down and be out on your own? When we say these these terms grow up. Here's the thing. We have to we have to define that grow up into what? And here's the thing that, that if you if we don't. If we aren't resolved what we're growing up into, here's what's going to happen. And it's one of three things you and I will fill in the blank. We'll put something there ourselves that for me to grow and to be a better person, then this is what it is. And I'm going to use my knowledge and my wisdom. And, 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 and that is going to be what I'm going to aim for. Right. That happens. The, the other thing that happens is, is the world can do it. If you don't set the agenda for what maturity and growth and wholeness looks like, the world will easily tell you, hey, this is what it is. It's this right here. And it's never going to be right. Right. The third thing is that you have well-intending people who will put their definition of what maturity looks like on you. So we watched a a movie with our family, and it's called Gifted. And this is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but there's a, a, a math prodigy. She's really young, and her name is Mary, and she's being raised by an uncle. Mary goes to an average school and it's discovered that Mary is just leaps and bounds beyond anyone in her school, right? And so the uncle's like, "Man, I don't know what to do with you, right?" And so the the the, the uncle's mother or her grandmother discovers that Mary is a, a math prodigy, and so she wants to come and fight for custody. But in the fighting and taking to court and, and showing that her own son is unfit, it, it, it starts to come out that the mother had another daughter who was Mary's mother, and, and, and that daughter ended up committing suicide. And she committed suicide because she, her mother just, just wrote her. I mean, her, her daughter solved this complex mathematics problem that no one else has ever been able to solve. Her daughter did it, and the mother, it just puts this pressure on her. You can't date. You can't have any hobbies. You can't do anything, and, and, and the daughter was crushed, and so she took her life. You see what happens? A well-intending mother pushing this is what maturity, this is what success is upon this child. And this child is growing up under this pressure, this pressure that she cannot keep. And so in the end, she cannot, she, she, she does not keep her own life. That, 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 that really happens. And if we're not really careful, we can do that with, with good intentions. We can push these things on top of people and say, this is it right here. Here's the problem with all three of those answers. Thinking about it yourself or letting the world do it or well-intending people, not one time does it invite God into the equation. Not one time does it say, you know what, Lord, what do you desire of me? What do you desire of my children? What do you desire of my wife? What do you desire of my spouse? Not one single time do we invite the Lord to tell us what we're aiming for in life. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you what you're aiming for. The standard is a person. Look at verse 13. Until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. And look at that last phrase to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see what Paul is saying? He's not just saying work at growing up. He's actually saying what I want you to grow into is not a what, but it's a who. I want you to look like Jesus. He says it again in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so when Paul thinks about what does maturity look like and and where is it going and what's the goal? He's saying the goal is the Lord Jesus, that you would look like Jesus, that I would Feel like Jesus, that I would look at the world in the way that Jesus looks at the world, that I will be grieved by sin in the way that Jesus was grieved over sin, that I would look at death the way that Jesus views death, that for Paul, maturity was growing into Christ. Thinking like Christ, living like Christ, talking like Christ, behaving like Christ. Do you know how freeing this is? When we're raising children and and they're wrestling with identity. That the highest and best thing we should want for them. Just look like Jesus, baby. That's it. I'm not saying it's simple. Simple. Uh, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. But that, that's the aim. When you get down to what we should desire above all things for your pastor, for your elders, for your deacons, for yourself, for your children, for your spouse. It's that, Lord, that's it. Right. That they, they, they look like Jesus. He's the standard. And here's the thing. When we do that. It, by default, knocks some other things off of the table that I think we try to put up there and say, hey, this is what maturity means. This is what the, the, the fullness of Christ means. No, here's the thing, right? Let's say that, that you didn't go to college, right? And you grew up in a home and, 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 and that was identity. you got to get a degree. You have to go get a degree. That, 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 I'm for college degrees. I really am. But here's the thing. Jesus did not go to college. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I mean, let, let's be really honest. Just that if, if college was essential, if it was essential to your son or daughter being perfect in Christ Jesus, he would have done it, right? You get it? And so here's the thing. I think it's freeing to want Christ. Formed in them above all things whether you graduate whether it takes you 12 years whether you go and you drop out baby it's okay all I want for you is that you will look like Jesus and let's let's rest right there you get it that some of you are are wrestling through identity stuff like man like Lil Wayne says my money so old it's growing gray hair y'all ever heard that phrase He's talking about like old money, money that's like five generations old, it's just kind of been passed down generation, generation, generation. That, that's kind of what he's getting at. Some of us in this room are, are living check to check, right? I don't have it like that, you know? We don't have it that good. And if you're not careful, when you see everybody posting about where they're vacationing and what they have and what they do, you will import that onto yourself and you will think the measure of success and maturity is I have a lot of money and I'm not anti-money. The Lord, the Lord gives it, right? It's a gift, but not everybody gets that. And here's the thing. Jesus did not have anywhere to lay his head. You get that? You see, maturity is, is, is Christ likeness. That in the world, you hear things about, man, I just have to find a husband. I I get it, right? Marriage is so good. It's, it's, It's really good. But marriage is not ultimate, right? It is not ultimate. And if you are a young lady growing up thinking that you will arrive somehow when you marry the right guy, I'm here to tell you that marriage is good, but it is not as good as Jesus. And it is not ultimate, right? Jesus was a single man. You get it? (laughs) But if you, you know, you keep up with social media and you watch what somebody tweeting about level up because they're going to post a picture with their superstar husband and level up. And then they're going to quote a sermon by somebody else. And they're quoting Proverbs. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And the guy's telling you well, the problem with some of y'all. Y'all got the spirit of girlfriend. Right. You get it. And so this person is twisting scripture and it's making our women feel like they're inferior because they don't have a man to their side. You get how twisted it is. You see? If marriage was that important, it would have been married. It's good. It's great. I love it. It's not ultimate. See, that's what Paul is. Paul is pushing off anything that we would forge an identity around. And he's saying, I want you to grow up But what we're aiming for, what we're after is is you just you look like Jesus. You date like Jesus. Well, he didn't date. So, uh, you know, (laughs) but you get what I'm saying. You approach sexuality like Jesus. You approach worship like Jesus. You honor the father with your body like Jesus. You get how. Simple it is. And that's what Paul is saying. The goal of growth. When I talk about building up and having you grow up and mature, I don't want you to put whatever you want to put and say that's the goal. He says, no, I'm telling you what the standard is. You just look like Jesus. Now, how does this happen? The gap is real. We all feel it. We're commanded to grow and close the gap. And the goal of growth is that we would all look like, look like Christ. But the question is, how does that happen according to the scriptures? How are men and women transformed and, and taken from children who are carried away by strange doctrine to those who can stand? How does that happen? Here's what Paul says. It's growth and grace. It's grace. It's grace that saved us. And Paul says it's grace that's going to sanctify us. And that's why you see it. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Look at verse 8. And he gave gifts. Look at verse 11. And he gave. That You see, three times in this section, it's all about the free grace of God. Only this grace is not saving grace. This grace... It's, it's probably more like grace gifts in, in Romans chapter 15. We have all received charismata, the, the word we get charismatic from. We have all received grace gifts from Christ and they give And so Paul is saying the foundation of our growth is the gracious generosity of Christ that he gives to the church. you got to get this. All right. So here's what Paul does. It's absolutely beautiful. Look at verses 8 through 10. Here's what Paul does. Paul actually puts an Old Testament psalm right here. It's Psalm 68. It's the psalm that Bentley read and Our Call to Worship. And I, he didn't read this part, but if you go back and study Psalm 68 on your own, here's what Paul does. It, it's really masterful. So I want to put the psalm in its context and then show you what Paul does with the psalm. In the context of Psalm 68, I think it's a battle song. You know, there are all types of psalms. There are psalms of grief. There are psalms of thanksgiving. There's the psalm, psalms of ascents when they're going into the house, the house of the Lord to worship. I think this is a battle, battle song. And, and what the psalmist is doing is, is showing the Lord to be a Lord of war. It says, oh, Lord, when you went and delivered your people and you walked through the desert, the earth quaked and the rain poured. It's this imagery, right, of of Yahweh being a deliverer. And in Psalm 68, I think the context of it is when Israel, when they were delivered out of Egypt. That's debatable. I think that's where it comes from for several reasons. But here's the imagery. The imagery there is that God's people were in Egypt and they were in bondage. And the Lord raises up Moses and the Lord says, I will free my people, let my people go. And the Lord goes into Egypt with Moses and the Lord does battle against Pharaoh and his entire kingdom. And the Lord, one plague after another, after another, after another, he just destroys him. And the Lord himself brings his own people out and they they march out of Egypt and they finally land at Sinai where the Lord gives them the law of the Lord. It's the imagery that God has gone in and defeated their enemies and, and, and free them. And he's bringing them out. That's the context of the Psalm. Now, here's what Paul does. Paul says, wait a minute. That psalm was talking about two things and not just one. Yes, it was talking about some real historical events that happened when Yahweh went in and delivered them. He says, but the second thing, there's a greater deliverance. It's not just about Yahweh going down into Egypt and bringing them out. He says this psalm was ultimately about Jesus. There was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who went down from glory and came down to the earth, and he marched into the enemy's line and he did war. He gave up his own life and he rescued us not from Pharaoh but from our own sin and our own captivity. And he leads us out as his captives that he has won for himself. And here is what was customary to do. That's why you see the ascended and descended language It's talking about Jesus coming down to the earth And then dying and going into the lower parts and then being raised and going back up. That's why you see all that imagery. But here's the thing that was normal. What you would do is when a king would win a battle, guess what the king would get? You get all the silver and the gold. If I come into your territory and destroy you and your kingdom, I'm taking everything I want out. And that's what kings would do. They would plummet and take it because they have won it and they would take it out. And a lot of kings would would, would take what they get and they would increase their own wealth. And here is the beauty that, that this is what Paul is doing. Paul switches the psalm. The, the psalm, if you go back and read Psalm 68, it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he received gifts from men. Notice what Paul does right here. He switches the psalm. He actually says Jesus went in and delivered his people and brought them out and plundered and took everything. And notice what it says he did. He did not receive, but he gave. What kind of king is this that would go and do battle? And come out and then take everything he has taken back and turn around and give it back to his people. Jesus is that kind of king. And so when you get to the heart of this passage, what Paul is saying is that the same God who saved you by grace, by laying down his life and obeying for you and I, that same God was not done giving grace to his people. He's leading us out in his captive and he turns around and says, here, it's yours. Now, the question is why? Why would Jesus turn around and give gifts to his captives? Because his captives are like little children who need to grow up and they need to be matured. And so what Jesus says, I will save you with my grace and then I will turn around and give you more grace that you might be conformed to my image. And so at the heart of our growth and change, it rests upon the graciousness of Jesus he's given. The question that we have to ask is, well, what did he give to the church for the building up and the maturity of the church Paul says I'm glad you asked. He gave the apostles men who walked with Jesus, who died for Jesus. Men who betrayed him and by the spirit when the spirit came upon them, they would be crucified upside down, they would be beheaded, and they would not stop speaking the truth of the gospel. Jesus says they're gifts. He says he and, and he gave prophets Those people, not the kind of $2 prophets you kind of see on TV right now. You give me $2 and I tell you something good about you. This is not what Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about real prophets who apply the word of God, who study the scriptures, who are led by the spirit of God to speak the truth and encouraging words to you. He says, they're gifts, right? Look at what he says. He says, and he gave evangelists, right? People who will go talk to a doorknob and try to see it love Jesus, right? People who that's all they're going to do is just talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus. He says, yes, they're gifts to the church for the hearing and building up of the church. And he also gave pastors and teachers that the shepherds who teach. And I think this is important because after the uh, the apostles come through and the prophets come through and the evangelists come through, you get this church and then this church starts to get its own elders and its own shepherds who will care for the flock of God right there. Paul says that's gift, that's grace to you right now, right? He's gracious. He raises up people who will love and serve and and enable people to stand And notice what he says in verse uh, the second part of verse 12. He doesn't just give us apostles and prophets and evangelists and preachers and teachers that they might do the ministry. Look at verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. You get that? He also gives to the church. You. Each other. As you look to your right and look to your left and look down and look up, he's given grace to you through people in this room right here. That you all would be equipped to do the work of ministry towards one another. That the work of ministry is synonymous with building up the body Is synonymous with promoting unity of the faith and spreading the knowledge of Christ that we all might, this is a corporate initiative that we all might reach mature manhood, that we would, look at verse 15, that we would speak the truth in love and thereby we will grow up. Look at verse 16, when each part of the body is working as measured, the body grows. And so it's the image, right? That one of the, 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 the grace of the Lord is not just, pastors and teachers and leaders the grace of the Lord to you for your growth. It's the person next to you. It's other body, members of the body of Christ that we are grace to one another for the building up of the body. And so I think it means a few things and then I'll finish this up. I think it, it means one, that we have to rethink how we will grow Growth is not something that God says you can do by practicing this alone. You get that? It's all right, little buddy. It's all right to you. He says it won't happen alone. you get it? That if he says speak the truth in love, it really means that we have to be close enough to one another to hear someone speak. In other words, you can't just grow by being alone. You can't just this this isn't like me trying to be a better basketball player and going outside and just shooting free throws all day—you gotta have somebody bodying on you, right? You know, you gotta be playing against somebody and and playing with people and and passing and, and you know, you get it. You can't just become a better ball player just by shooting free throws. You gotta get in the game and to play the game, you gotta play against people. That's how you get better, and that's what Jesus is saying—the way that we grow as members in the body. It's by being in the body. That's just that. That's how we will grow. You we have to do it in the context of community. I think this passage makes us rethink how we view church. I think it's so easy. And, and I, 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 I love Redeemer. This is one of the reasons I love Redeemer. It's because you guys work. You care for one another. They're not. One time since I've been here, have I felt like, man, we're gonna pay the pastor and the pastor's gonna do everything and the paid staff will do everything? Man, I went up to somebody and told them I wanted to come visit them and bring them food. You know what they told me? Pastor, we got food for a month. We good. I'm just like, what? They got food for a month. You get that? That you're doing that, that, that you are doing the work of ministry and you are building the body up. And I think it's easy to think that ministry has to happen only through paid staff. No, it happens When you're speaking the truth in love, it happens in growth group. It happens when you drop off food. It's happening when you cook fish outside and we got to clean up dirty pots that all of these things. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening when you show up on a Sunday night and teach a marriage seminar. It's happening when you teach Sunday school. It's happening when you use the gifts that God has given you. In the context of the body, the body becomes a better and more healthier place because everybody is doing their part. That's just what Paul is saying. And so I'd encourage you to re- rediscover your own gifts. Spend some time reading this passage of 1 Corinthians 12. It's not a matter of if you're gifted. It's a matter of what has God gifted you with. He's given you gifts. Some of you are old and you, you can't come on a Wednesday night. But you can pray. And you can pray long and hard for me and for this church. Some of you have children and you, you can't, you're limited. God's gracious, right? You can pray, you can write letters. That I went to visit someone and I got there, man, and there's a group of young ladies who are loving our senior citizens in a way that it brought me to tears. Right. That I get over there and these girls have picked her up and taken her to out for dinner for her birthday. You know, you get it. That's how the body works. It cares for itself. And so I'd encourage you to to find your gift. It's the reason why in our new member class, we do. Steve does a spiritual gifts assessment. We want you to take the time and let the spirit lead you. Find what the spirit has given you already. Last thing, I think we leverage our diversity. Last week, we were told to work at maintaining unity. This week, we marvel in our diversity. And our quote, a reflection quote, it says, the church is richer and better and stronger because of our diversity. If we were all alike, there is little doubt that the church would flounder. But all are vital for the building up of the church and none should despise the gifts that Christ proportions by his authority out of his generosity and for his transforming purpose. You see what he says? His transforming purpose. And he gives gifts to that end and so what's important growing people is important not the number of people and not pews that that's good but growing the people who are here that's a priority of the church why do we exist to by the grace and power of God to assist people with maturing in the Lord and Jesus is the standard the church is the means And the whole body participates in it. Let's pray. Our father, I do pray that we would see that uh, grace that has saved us is also grace that changes. You've been gracious to give good gifts to this body, men and women and children, old and young and black and white and married and single. I pray that we would all see ourselves as gifts to this local expression of the church, that we would be gifts to our city and seek to do good works in it. And I pray, Lord, that we would use the gifts that you've given to the glory of Christ to see men and women more conformed, not to our standards, but to yours. We pray that for Christ's sake. Amen.